0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk to Dr. Omar Suleiman. You are most welcome, sir.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Dr. Omar Suleiman is an American Muslim scholar and writer. He's also the, the founder and president of Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, a professor of Islamic studies, and member of the Ethics Center Advisory Board at Southern Methodist University and today Dr. Suleiman has kindly agreed to discuss those significant books uh, that have made a real difference to uh, his life and I think there are perhaps three broad uh, categories uh, that you might want to discuss so would you like to perhaps introduce us to the first broad area of subjects that you want that have made a big impact on your life
1: Sure, absolutely, and subhanahu wa First of all, uh, Paul, it's a pleasure to be with you. Alhamdulillah, it's, mm-hmm. it's been it's been a a joy to watch and listen to some of your interviews and your podcasts. And I think in a very short period of time, you've really elevated the discourse uh, that needs to happen in the community. And it's always thoughtful, always beneficial. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. You know, I might be a little biased as to some of who my favorite guests. Uh, have been you know you've had you've had some incredible people you've had dr awayman on of course who's our editor-in-chief dr weimer anjum uh who always he's, he's uh, an amazing, pers- amazing
0: scholar i i didn't know much about him until about say, a year ago and i'm generally uh in awe of his scholarship and work they're fantastic
1: yeah alhamdulillah and of course you've had brothers like hamza sortis who's, who's Mashallah, mm. always lovely and, and has a lot to offer and you, re- you had imam tom fatini and and uh, oh, a dr. rising star he's a rising star yeah absolutely so so many people uh, we're actually doing a, a article based on your interview with dr Carl sharif at as well uh i will link it back to that interview uh which has just been very insightful mashallah so may Allah yeah. bless you and continue to uh, increase you and and uh allow you to continue to uh bring people on that uh, offer some benefit and um and offer some of these these ideas uh that hopefully increase people in faith and in intellect as well Uh, Throughout the process so just thank you for having me uh, here and thank you for all that you've been you've been doing Alhamdulillah, thank you So Alhamdulillah you told me that this is open just reading journey Uh, So Mm, yes, I'll actually start with the story uh, before this uh, this reading journey um, You know a bit when it comes to just some of the Da'wah books in particular that I think are really important in the English language
0: Mm.
1: And that made a a significant impact on my life Um, I so I grew up in between New Orleans, Louisiana and Baton Rouge, Louisiana uh-huh. um in in the deep south of the United States um
0: yep, that. yep. very nice <laughs> oh nice mashallah, mashallah.
1: so I have to ask you about your food your food uh preferences uh when you went down there that must mean you like seafood though
0: Oh yeah, I was New Orleans to be honest and the environment environs there. It was uh, I just remember the portions were huge. It was like, oh, I'll have a starter before the main course, and this humongous wow. starter <laughs> arrived. I thought, well, that's kind of it, really. I'm gonna go home now. I just this is all the meal. So it, American portions, particularly southern American portions, seem to be huge. And I remember I have a clear yeah, memory. We before.
1: like our food. We like <laughs> our food. We like our food, Mashallah. But the reason why this becomes relevant to the Dawah journey, um, in particular, uh, so in, in my childhood, um, I faced some, some difficulties. Uh, you know, my mother's health, I've, I've spoken about this in other places. Um, you know, being a child whose mother had cancer, um, I love mercy on her. Um, seeing the Ku Klux Klan and some of the rallies down south and really being the only Muslim um, in my school. This was wow. Al- always my, uh, my upbringing was being the only Muslim in my school. And so sort of the anger of personal circumstances and things that I was witnessing um, as well as some of those difficulties, led me to a very early discovery of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a, a very awkward,, uh, you know, 12, 13 year old because I was I was trying to be thoughtful. I was asking bigger questions about life mm-hmm. because I felt like some of my childhood had been sort of taken away by some of those those devastating circumstances, uh, which of course, people have been through much worse. But at least for me, you know, it was it was my world, you know, it was sort of collapsing at a very early age and i was very involved in in um you know in in athletics and uh things of that sort but it was really a distraction and if you would have asked me at a very young age i I would have told you you know i I really don't know what i am anymore uh, if i'm muslim or not muslim and so i really went on uh, quite a bit of a journey in terms of reading um you know about islam and though my parents are palestinian And I had some fluency in the Arabic language at the time, but I wasn't reading any literature in Arabic. You know, conversationally, I could speak to people in Arabic because my parents spoke in Arabic uh, to me. But uh, I was kind of looking through the books that existed at the time um, about Islam, as well as Christianity and Judaism, where, of course, you had much deeper literature. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why Louisiana becomes an interesting flashpoint here is because Sheikh Ahmad rahimahullah, uh, mm. Came to Baton Rouge, Louisiana for okay. that famous debate with Jimmy Swaggart. Yes, found uh, that in
0: history that has, yeah.
1: Absolutely. LSU, Louisiana State University. So, mm. uh, my eventual father in law, uh, who is the Imam of the Masjid in LSU, mm. <laughs> was uh, very much involved in inviting uh, Sheikh Ahmed Hidat and hosting that debate. Wow. Um, you know, not that I was uh, in presence uh, of that debate, but uh, he was involved, my father uh, was also involved in sort of organizing that debate between Ahmad Didat, and Jimmy Swaggart uh, at mm-hmm. Louisiana State University. Um, so it's interesting because uh, I grew up with like these clippings, newspaper clippings and pictures of Ahmad Didat's visit. So I hadn't met him, um, but I grew up with these clippings and, and it was it was such a legendary visit at the time yeah and it still is right you know it's, it's one of the most famous debates uh between a a muslim scholar and, and, and a christian preacher in, in history uh yes, you yes. know especially in recorded uh literally video recorded history right in the digital age and i grew up with all these clippings and all these books and in fact the original boxes from when he came some of those boxes and some of the leftover books that they were passing out were in my house right,
0: right.
1: so my first you know real exploration uh, really, actually, came through reading Ahmedida's books. Right. Uh, the funny thing was that I, at the same time, was playing basketball at Jimmy Swaggart's courts because <laughs> his really? mega church's basketball courts were only about six, seven minutes away from my house, like literally just over a five-minute drive. So we'd go play basketball there, and I'd have a chance to meet Jimmy Swaggart in my journey. Wow! So I had in front of me. Um, you know, the, the books of Sheikh Iddat, Rahimahullah. Um, and the first book I read was Crucifixion or Crucifixion. That's yes. The first one that I picked up was Crucifixion. That's the headline. I mean,
0: you're saying, yeah, is it fiction or is it how? Yeah, it's an extraordinary headline. It's
1: right, talking. right. So that was the first book I, I think I read mm. in the da'wah, uh, sort of in mm. literature, was Crucifixion or Crucifixion.
0: Mm.
1: And then, of course, you know, I went through The Choice. Uh, if you go back
0: the to. That, yes, I've the still choice. got that book. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah i'm looking at it on my bookshelf as well so it's right in front of me and that that book was really interesting right because it starts to challenge uh challenge you and he speaks about that debate in fact um as an introduction uh to Mm -hmm. one one book of the book of of the compilation of the of the choice and i read that and um it blew my mind Mm. and then i read the bible uh the ah. King James Version, the Newly International Version from from front to back, and I actually took a highlighter, and I started to highlight things wow. within within the uh, the, the Bible, uh, the Newly International, the, 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 the King James Version, I'm sorry, first. I just took it, and I started to highlight everything yeah, that I could yeah. uh, there in the King James Bible. And I decided to actually go meet Jimmy Swaggart as a teenager, okay. uh, requested a meeting with him to confront him, uh about about some of the things i was reading but confront him not as as an opponent but as someone who was who was very who was genuinely curious you know i wanted to be fair and say you know uh wow. i had read uh these these books by ahmed and i realized that you debated ahmed didat uh, some time ago and i wanted to bring forth these points and he he found it completely hilarious so i actually got to meet him found it completely hilarious that, uh, I was, this teenager was in front of him quoting this debate and I had the choice with me and I had the Bible with me and stuff like that. Yeah,
0: right. At
1: the end of that meeting, uh, Jimmy Swagger told me I was going to hell. This is a true story. So <laughs> he told me if I persisted in this way that I was going to hell. And, um, obviously I was like, well, you know, I, I didn't have good vibes from that meeting. So, you know, I was like, you know, this is sort of like, a. May, perhaps Jimmy Swagger's hell is actually heaven type deal, you know? So I was like, you know what? It's, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take that risk with you. you know. Wow. I was very unsatisfied. So it was, it was a major turnoff for me in that meeting. And of course he was always scandal driven uh, by that time. And, and he was always yeah. able to, to, to walk it off. And I knew many people that went to that church, we played basketball together uh, with him. So, or with them, I'm sorry. So it was the books of Ahmadidat first, right? That I'd come across, and I think that it's important to pay tribute to that for a reason. Um, mm. Ahmadidat, rahimahullah, uh, changed the—he um, he really set a mindset and a mentality like that. We can we can be fluent with these ideas. That we yes. can we can be in conversation with these ideas, and that there was nothing to be afraid of, and that yes. was very appealing to me. Um, you know, as, as a teenager, of course, rebellious in my nature, you know, very willing at that point to embrace whatever uh, would be the case in terms of religion. So that's very appealing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that Just the confidence of Ahmad and that confidence
0: it, it, in his writing. Exactly. That, that, that word is key. I think confidence. I think for so many people I've heard that, that he, Dida, uh, actually gave people the confidence to push back against these overweening American missionary preachers and so on, who right. were just constantly you know on, on the on the tv airwaves you know, just bashing away at islam you're going to hell and all this and no he stood up to them uh, did that stood up to them very powerfully almost with theatrical aplomb this guy could really right. marshal his talents his verbal dexterity and the and the content of the bible he knew good arguments as well and in a very kind of theatrical way he could push back with wit as well sometimes he would he could be funny but you know you know, in a way that emboldened Muslims to think, yeah, our, our team is not so, um you know, weak in the face of these swaggots and the Billy Grahams of the world, that he could, we, we could stand strong against them, actually. So I, right. I think, yeah, as you say, the boost that he gave Muslims uh was really a, a major accomplishment, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, may Allah have mercy on him and accept. I mean, a lot, a lot of the good work that that gets launched today that that really goes back to that inspiration. You know, Doctor naik of course, um, may Allah preserve him, credits him quite a bit um, for for his influence on him, and I think that's very apparent um, in that regard. But but you're right. It was it was look, it was someone that was willing to defend the religion and was not intimidated by the arena,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that was. That was something that uh, really resonated with me um, at that age, and then I came across. Uh, and of course, we're talking about some of the early literature. Dr. Jamal Bedoui um, had written yes, about uh, Muhammad in the right, Bible. Yeah.
0: Yes, I, I met him. He he ke- he came to Regent's Park. I think he still comes every every year. That there's an annual event that he comes to, and I heard him speak over the years um, yeah. Yeah, at Regent's Park Mosque. Yeah. Absolutely. So may
1: Allah preserve him. You know, I came across his his book. These are small books, right? At the time. Mm. Uh, with Dr. Jamal Badawi's Muhammad in the Bible. Yes. And yes. you know it was really interesting because I I, I realized um, getting a hold of like a good seerah book of the Prophet <laughs> sai uh, in English was was it seemed like impossible at the time, right? So it was you're really getting bits and pieces and it's one of the things actually that, that Malcolm X uh, writes in one of his his personal memoirs is um, he couldn't find a seerah of the Prophet in prison. Realized in 1960s, 1950s in fact, in prison, you can't find an English seerah book of the Prophet So you have to just cling to what's what's here or there and try to piece together the story. Now for me being introduced to um, sort of this this genre of dalal nubuwa, the proofs of prophethood, uh, from the mm-hmm. Prophet ﷺ, um or of the Prophet ﷺ, through just these simple works of Dr. Jamal badawi and then mm-hmm. um you know Ahmad Idat of course in Jamal badawi like that was really fascinating to me because it it sort of brought another lens to the sira that you grow up with just from your Sunday school here or there, something you heard here or there. Um, it gives you another perspective, a fresh perspective. I'd say that what what really then clicked for me. And this is actually what, what I'd uh I'd come to. You know, I tell people this that um my journey to Islam personally and in, in that in that ultimate just being convinced was that I came to the conclusion that there's no way that the Prophet sallam, is not a prophet of God, that there's no way that he's not acting upon divine revelation, just everything about him, his character, obviously the biblical prophecies, and and at that point i read the Bible quite a bit. The biblical prophecies mm-hmm. but his character um just th- the way that he did not um exploit you couldn't question his sincerity you couldn't question his character the prophecies of himself and the prophecies of him uh you know of of his of his coming that was really it for me uh more than anything else mm-hmm. now i'd say that and this is very important you know in terms of the writings on religion though and i guess this is what i'll get to because i think muslims are very familiar with the works of ahmadidat and then maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Dr. Jamal Badawi. Um, mm-hmm. I think that for me, the game changer in terms of literature on Abrahamic uh, theology and, and Judaism, Christianity, and Islam was actually Dr. Gerald Dirks. May oh. Allah have mercy on him. Yes, yes. Uh, Dr. Gerald Dirks passed away very recently. Yes, and, yes. Yes. and he his books... You know, when I when I'm in dialogue or in discussion with a serious Christian theologian uh, or or Jewish theologian, his books really help me frame things in ways that I was unable to do before. And that's mm. because he was a deacon in the Methodist Church. Yes, um, he was prior to converting to Islam. This man was a very very serious Christian scholar, a Harvard yes. scholar in Christianity. Yeah. Um, yeah a deacon in a Methodist church and I came across the cross and the Crescents mm. the Cross and the Crescent um and the cross and the Crescent was this incredible book um in which he he does a, you know really a comparison of sorts uh between um Islam and Christianity but I think the most influential and impactful book for me was actually his book the Abrahamic Fates which I oh, believe right. he wrote after the cross and the Crescent mm. and he wrote he, he wrote a few um smaller books um afterwards but the abrahamic faiths in, in my mind is is just a must-read book for anyone that's going to really interact with um you know serious seekers from judaism and christianity because what he does is he frames it it's not hostile and that's actually the beauty of it and you can take from these different forms of writing right Sheikh ahmed Diddath, is pretty combative in his writings and there's there's room for that there's benefit in in, in his approach Dr. Gerald Dirks' approach is is not combative. He's building the narrative mm. in a way that anyone that reads his books cannot question his scholarship. I mean, you cannot question the man's scholarship. Um, And I, I share this. I've given shahada, alhamdulillah, to two pastors through Dr. Gerald Dirks' books, with Abrahamic Fates being the... Um, uh, the, the the main the main uh book that was that was used because it was it was a, a means for them both of them were in new orleans uh and they both privately took shahada with me uh, it was really interesting um uh one of them was a united methodist pastor the other one was chinese presbyterian a chinese presbyterian
0: pastor Can I tell you, sorry, uh, would you say privately, are are you saying that, because uh, Abdul Hakim Murad of Cambridge University, otherwise known as Tim Winter, he's got this idea of of submarines, Muslim submarines, these are people who have not publicly declared their shahada, but, but due to their station, they may be politicians, they are politicians or other senior figures, but privately they have said their shahada with him, he calls them submarines, um, yeah. are, are they like that, or did they ultimately make a public declaration? Do you think
1: those two actually never made public declarations? Really? So, these are, these, these <laughs> are what we
0: they, they call submarines, then they're just beneath yeah. the surface. They've got good reasons why they don't, because they may have responsibilities which would be jeopardized family, children, if they came publicly. Right.
1: And, yeah. and you want to encourage them that ultimately, I mean, that is something that you, you need to do. Um, yeah. One of them left um, the profession quietly. Uh, as a whole and and kind of just went back into another field uh, the other the other one um actually was not a senior person um in the church but um maintained uh maintained a role and and basically started to preach um in a way that that was disconnected from theology if that makes sense you know used more generic messages and was afraid of sort of the jeopardizing a family and things of that sort and my my argument was look it's it's better that you be muslim if this is your conviction now it's better that you be muslim and that this is something that you eventually you know embark upon um then continue in this way it's not ideal obviously i mean you know how beautiful is it when you see uh a dr gerald dirks right imagine if dr gerald dirks kept it to himself
0: uh
1: or of course some even at at the at the broader level like a yusuf estes type you know uh who who has done tremendous work you know around the world and Uh, taken that background and, and, and done so much good with it, but it still means something. um, And, and still, it's still profound. And honestly, it's Gerald Dirks' work that when I've conversed with serious Christians and Jews about theology, it's like, you know, he makes some, he makes some points that just cannot uh, be disputed. Um, And so I think uh, in, in my mind, he's, he's greatly underestimated and, and, underutilized uh, within the Muslim community in terms of understanding theology and the bridge, uh, the potential bridge that could be forged uh, if a person seeks to really understand faith. And, um, you know, may Allah have mercy on him. You can find his stuff online. um, And I I personally
0: want to clarify which book, if there's a single book by him that you would recommend to to us all or perhaps several to really uh, take what you said forward in our own reading.
1: I'd say The Abrahamic Faiths.
0: The abrahamic face yeah
1: i mean the way he builds the narrative is absolutely profound and i think that that is a game changer mm-hmm. um, in my mind um in terms of the level of, of writing um you know in the west when it comes to islam and, and judaism and christianity i i really appreciated uh that writing and so i definitely hope that people will avail themselves of that book muslims or, or non-muslims that might be yeah. uh, watching and listening to this and then there was a there's another writer that, that I really enjoyed as well, uh, Dr. Lawrence Brown. Uh, are you familiar
0: with Of course, he's been a, a, an on guest on Blogging and Theology, of course. Yeah. Oh, he, I didn't he... know that actually. I missed that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah, Dr. Lawrence Brown, The Eighth Scroll. I remember that was just a unique way of bringing theology into conversation, right? When he when when he he goes into uh, some of his work and and I think he's just he is brilliant at um, you know at, at really trying to to bring forth um you know islam in, in an intelligent way in a way that can can speak to uh, people's sensitivities and sensibilities that are really interested in the theology of it you know a lot of it becomes highly polemical right and, and even in the debates and stuff like that it's very surface level and there's room for that too right uh, sometimes it needs to be very simple Uh, And Islam, you know, the the, the beauty of Tawheed, of the oneness of God, is that it's something that could be grasped at the most fundamental level by someone who's illiterate in the middle of nowhere. And it's something that would resonate with the intellect and resonate with the heart and resonate with their fitrah, with their natural disposition. It's also something that can challenge people at the deepest level and the most profound philosophical readings, right? It goes back to Tawheed and the beauty of Tawheed and how it makes sense and how Islam really brings together... um, the the ways of the prophets and the theology and I'll also say this that and this is where it it um it becomes really interesting is that I think that a lot of people start to engage in um, in that type of reading of the Bible um, and, and building you know that that narrative properly many of them will then fall into violating um, some of the established uh, positions within Islam and so you'll start to see you know, that, that sometimes they'll start to impose biblical readings, especially, on you know, in, in regards to some of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and some of the, um, you know, the things that aren't as clear cut. Uh, so that's where, you know, when, when, when you find a writer that becomes, you know, d- that, that's able to demonstrate a depth of reading. And does not fall into that, you know, starting to deny the return of Isa, the return of Christ, peace be upon him, and some of the established, um, you know, Ahadith, uh, prophetic traditions and consensus in that regard. When you find that, you really want to cling to it. So I think that Dr. Gerald Dirks and uh, Dr. Lawrence, who I, I, I guess you you had, and I need to go back and, and watch that and listen to uh, yeah. th- that type of caliber of, of writing is is really profound. Um, you know, and really highly beneficial. I know you you also had uh, you know, and I'm I'm just really starting to familiarize myself with Dr. Adi Atali's work, and I think you had him on as well, and
0: mashallah, yeah, I he, feel he like is, he is an extraordinary uh person. A poly got uh you know a speciality specialty in many areas and he can synthesize uh many disciplines, uh biblically, linguistically. Uh, and also take the conversation forward in very fruitful ways and in new ways, even uh, in a scholarly way. So uh, he's, he's, he's absolutely one of my favorite uh, guests. It's a hugely honored that he has come on the platform and will, uh, inshallah, continue to come on in the future. Inshallah.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's just really it's been a treat to watch mm. uh, people that, um, you know, are able to synthesize and able to really take the best of all of that. And yep. and continue to benefit people in the Ummah and beyond, you know, with that with that deeper reading of the bible and, and christian literature and and the literature of judaism uh in light of the proofs of islam
0: yeah uh, there are i mean, I have to know some of them there are some uh young uh, emerging scholars muslims who are studying uh the bible the new testament in the original languages at university like oxford university here in england for example that there, there are several very very bright young muslim scholars who are specialists in the bible in the original language, so the whole the whole game, the whole dawa game, if you like, has been taken to the the next level at a very advanced uh, academic level now, and, and and they're coming from the grassroots. So I think we're we're yeah. seeing a step change in in the whole thing actually, uh, and it's very promising. Uh, I've I've seen that even the last five to ten years there has been a huge advance. I think in in dawa, in, in apologetics, in, in digging deeper into the sources to enrich and advance the uh, the whole thing really. So.
1: Right, and I should mention, by the way, we we at Yaqeen Institute, uh, we have the Jesus Collection, the collection on the story of Isa Islam, Jesus, peace be upon him, and one of the writers, Dr. Shabir Akhtar, we, I'm sure you're familiar with, of course, as well in that regard. Um And and again, and, and someone who's who's incredibly well learned in 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 the these these three faiths in Judaism, Christian, and Islam is able to to build such a coherent and powerful um, argument uh, for Tawheed and and for monotheism and um, and, and do so in a way that's that's just incredibly compelling. Um, so I, I think that that you're right. There are so many people that are coming out, rising scholars. But me personally, in my own dawah journey, that was um, Gerald Dirks was was a game changer. And I ask Allah to mm-hmm. to put uh, anything that I do in that regard uh, through that uh, on on his scale um, as well, because he he's profoundly shaped uh, the way that that I that I'm able to converse with people. Uh, mm-hmm. in that arena, the university level and beyond. And it's accessible work by the way. So if you read the Abrahamic yes. Faith, it's actually very accessible. It's not uh it's not written in a way that um, you know, a person who's reading a book for the first time um on the Torah, the 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 uh the New Testament and the uh, Qur'an uh would have a hard time. It's 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 really accessible work alhamdulillah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I think uh, another genre of of work you I think you mentioned to me in the past is is autobiography is it and and others and yeah we touched briefly on Sira, uh, but th- this is autobiography where uh, the people themselves have written about their own lives and right. I, I, I suspect I, I can guess who your, your first one might be, but I'm not going to say so, <laughs> um, I mean, think we've already mentioned actually uh, in the last 20 minutes
1: yeah it's so so when it comes to autobiography so i love biographies are my favorite genre and then autobiographies more specifically um and that uh, does uh in fact impact the way that i study uh islam right studying um the life of the prophet's life is is just incredibly Mm. uh moving to me and and i have more faith when i study the seerah i have more faith when i study the shamail the description the the attributes of the prophet and when you study the the companions and the family of the prophet وسلم, um may allah be pleased with them all i mean there's just so much to benefit from and it's it's extremely rich mm. uh when it came to my early journey with autobar so now now i mean I, I i i don't read i i don't read the prophetic life in English or, or any of the companions you know I I stick to the classical works in Arabic in that regard um Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'ad Ibn Abd al-Barr Imam al-Dhahabi al-Nubala these are some works that a person can really benefit from um but when it comes to um, early journey um so so when the movie Malcolm X came out I <laughs> you yeah when the movie came out like that was um you know that really thrust uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, obviously into public discourse. And, you know, at that time we had the X hats and, you know, the X shirts and just popular culture, everything became about Mm. that. Mm. And um, for me, that was, uh, you know, and it's actually based upon, I think that the movie is based upon uh, James Baldwin had a screenwrite uh, of Malcolm's life that then became the movie or the Mm -hmm. basis of that movie Uh, About Malcolm X, right? Um, So obviously, that that book, um, reading the book for the first time, and I don't think people appreciate uh, can appreciate how incredible that book is by just reading a chapter or two, or by just watching the movie. No. Uh, there's a new audiobook, uh of I think, in, in the voice of Lawrence Fishburne. I haven't listened to it yet, but I think it's an
0: audiobook of the autobiography. Who, sorry, who played? I can't remember who played Malcolm X in that film. I can't remember. It was Denzel name. Washington. Denzel, that's it. Denzel Washington. Yeah, and, yeah. and he was perfect. Yeah, perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was it was incredible, right? And so the the story of that, you know, I remember in, in the Louisiana flea markets, right? People were selling the X stuff, and it kind of became a fad uh, for people to start wearing that. In our circles and you know that was a proud moment for us as as american muslims and um the amount of people that were becoming muslim around us uh through that um was absolutely incredible Amazing. what i'll say about that book about the autobiography of malcolm x is that if you do prison dawah here in the united states it's it's wow. really phenomenal that you'll find in, in circulation more copies of the autobiography of Malcolm X than the Bible and sometimes even the Quran itself yeah. in terms of the prison circulation. And people
0: find Islam through that book. And Is they it, don't. Um, yeah. I could, sorry, it's also, just struck me that the, the incredible rate, if I can put it, as a conversions to Islam in the American prison system, I mean, it far outstrips in terms of you know the numbers of. Yeah. C- c- what, what is it about, I mean, is it this autobiography of at X, but why is there such a vast number of inmates in your prison system about becoming Muslims? It's an extraordinary phenomenon. I, is there an explanation for yeah. that that one can offer? Well, it's
1: it's it's multifaceted. Obviously, I think Islam appeals to uh, people that are looking for a second chance in life and gives people a right. sense of meaning when they've been deprived of it, obviously, and, and, in a way that's profound and very redemptive. Um, when it comes to the autobiography of Malcolm X, it has a profound impact because Malcolm came through that system. He came through the prison system. He (laughs) came through the, I mean, America doomed Malcolm, um, right. In, in a way that, uh, he could not have, but ended up in, in certain circumstances. Right. I mean, in every way possible, right. I mean, he, he is at the, uh, at the center of the American nightmare, you know, uh, with his family his his mother uh you know being taken away from them as kids his his father being killed by the clan i mean poverty um crime, it, he's at the center of the american nightmare right and the fact that he was able to become who he became mm-hmm. um is is very intriguing to people and so when you talk to people uh in prison that are looking not just for a new theology or a new sense of, of faith, but they're looking for really uh, a chance at redemption mm. f- from a deep place of self-worth. Like, am I worth anything to society right now? Because when you go to prison, I mean, you're really told that, that you're not worth anything to society anymore. Mm. And, and it's it's well understood that when you get out of prison, trying to rebuild you know, uh, will always be difficult and you always be stigmatized with that. Mm-hmm. So with with Malcolm um, with that book, the autobiography of Malcolm X, look it it has taken people by the grace of Allah because it's Allah's guidance at the end of the day, by the grace of Allah, from deep deep places of crime, to mm-hmm. just incredible heights in terms of spirituality and faith. Mm-hmm. I was at a I was at the um, Shabaas Center, which is the the um, the Autobahn where Malcolm was assassinated. Hajj Malik was assassinated. allah and uh, there was a, a prominent uh, artist that was speaking and, and he he said, and there was a preacher in the audience, he said, with all due respect, I didn't find Jesus in prison. I found Malcolm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I found that really yeah. interesting the way that he said it. So the autobiography of Malcolm X was something that transformed you know people at the at the teenage level it transformed. It continues to be uh, incredibly beneficial to people in the prison system. Um, you asked about what what else, is it that people are looking for that that draws people to Islam? I think there mm-hmm. is an understanding in some parts of the prison system. I, mean, I used to go to Angola, which is one of the worst prisons in America. There's an understanding that if you want to clean up, you become Muslim, and then there's the social element of that even within the prison system, right? The, the, the Muslims, you know, coming together uh, even within the prison system. Uh, the, the challenge becomes obviously maintaining that once they, yes. uh, get back and you know try to reintegrate into society mm-hmm. uh uh with that sort of stigma and with that mold and, and just everything that uh comes with it in terms of baggage you know uh, being a, a former prisoner so it's 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 been you know it, you you watch people that have transformed their lives uh through that mahmoud abdul uh also an lsu story by the way a famous basketball player uh there's a documentary actually coming about uh, out about him now uh he's he's he uh, was a, a basketball player at LSU, Chris Jackson, Louisiana yeah. State University. And Mahmoud abdur he became Mahmoud abdur because the basketball coach at LSU assigned uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X as reading. So mm-hmm. he embraced Islam and um, sort of took a stand against U.S. militarism. And, uh, you know, unlike, uh, you know, what came about with Colin Kaepernick uh, here in the United States with Mahmoud abdul I mean, he was... Um, rejected and turned away and ultimately lost his job in the nba uh, and and did not have even the popular support within within a few years uh that you would have expected to come right it was just a deeply polarizing uh position that he took but may allah bless him for taking that and taking that stand but again that comes through the autobiography malcolm x so you can find people that really were transformed through that now in in my in my reading um As well just in the genre of that like when you start to go into civil rights work Mm. uh, another person that i had had known as a child louisiana has has a lot uh, as you can see here in terms of islamic history in this regard Mm -hmm. imam jamil amin uh, who was known as h rat brown he was the head of the black panther party embraced islam as well and became imam jamil abdullah amin uh, is a prominent political prisoner in the united states right now uh, he wrote the book revolution by the book and i mean he he talks about everything from like you know food consumption like halal meat and spirituality and prayer sort of this wholesome um and... you know revolution against the nafs if you will right against the self mm-hmm. as a means of really conquering all cowardice and all fear um and and all all lust and and, and desire and, and and devilish inclination i mean it's it's a profound uh approach and he he's uh from baton rouge louisiana he went to uh mckinley i went to mckinley much much later than him but i remembered him as a child um you know uh, i remembered him coming to a halaqa and, and addressing us in our halaqas as a child um so that was deeply profound and then even when you read uh dr martin luther king uh mm. a, a book that's that's really interesting a stride toward freedom
0: mm.
1: uh, stride toward freedom he wrote it in the early 20 in, in his in his 20s mid 20s it was about the montgomery bus boycott so this is a book that I really enjoy deeply uh, with Stride Toward Freedom. Um, now, when it comes to back to Malcolm and his autobiography, and, and really reading um, Malcolm at, at a deeper level, um, one of the one of the things that's often useful is to put him in conversation, right, with, with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. James Cohn wrote a book called Malcolm and Martin, uh, Dreams and Nightmares. Interesting. Yeah, uh, James Cone, Malcolm and Martin Dreams and Nightmares. Uh, or a dream or a nightmare. It's one of the two. Uh, but it's a fascinating book where he comp- he sort of talks about how Martin Luther King Jr. became who he became and, and how Malcolm became who he became and why. Why those paths um, look the way that they did. Mm-hmm. And it really, it, it, it really unveils quite a bit of, of the history and the psychology um, that would have taken uh both of those men towards those paths mm-hmm. and uh, essentially you know the malcolm was living the nightmare and so it, it was very hard for him to believe in this dream that mm-hmm. dr king was talking about he talks about the cultural icon of malcolm the you know he, he sort of puts into play the, the the militancy if you will of malcolm x versus the pragmatism of of dr king so it's a Could fascinating
0: Ask about that—that that very dynamic. I mean, how? I mean, did you know, how did Martin Luther King view Malcolm X? I, I know they met because we, we know that. Because what one was or, uh, much more about, Reverend respectable Christian minister uh, uh, who, who led a, a civil rights movement that was still. You know, uh, persecuted and attacked by the FBI and so on, but nevertheless, it had, it had more appeal. Mainstream, well, Malcolm X was a Muslim and so on. You know, more radical. I mean, but how did Martin Luther King view Malcolm X? Did he view as some kind of outlier that was just too, just too far gone to be uh, in in the polite society that he wanted to create, or how did he view it?
1: So it's it's interesting um, that you asked that question. Um, Malcolm was changing. Martin was changing. <laughs> And their interactions, uh, their interaction was so brief, and it was towards the end of, of uh Al Hajj Shabazz's life, wow. And there was a lot of promise there, uh, which is why I think the there was there was an urgency to put an end to Malcolm's life. Mm-hmm. Um, because there was a lot of promise there with Malcolm becoming more mainstream. So Malcolm in 1964 becomes the most um the most prominent speaker in America on college campuses. He speaks uh Harvard he speaks at Yale he speaks at Stanford he's I mean it's a it's a man who who did not have beyond the middle school education that is speaking at all the Ivy League schools he speaks at Brandeis he speaks uh, so he he uh, Angela Davis talked about you know hearing Malcolm and being inspired from him she was like one of seven black students on campus or something like that it was it was something you know it, it, it was it was incredibly inspiring to see this man who was self-educated Right. Speaking in all these different college campuses and, of course, the Oxford Union debate, Mm. uh, which is which is just a gift to watch because you you can see Malcolm quoting right from a broad range of literature at that point um, and just demonstrating a level of intellect and intelligence and eloquence that was, was yeah. rarely witnessed in a century. Uh,
0: you can see this on YouTube. I, I've seen uh, Malcolm X on, on British television, actually being interviewed yeah. by British uh, interviewers, which is, uh, yeah, he came here too. He came to eng- England too. But I just want to say about that autobiography, which I've read, obviously my, my life is very different. You know, I'm, I'm not American and so on for Malcolm X, but it was a profoundly moving experience reading this book. As you went through his incredible, painful journey, and, and sometimes his views were very extreme, particularly early on, you got a sense of an indomitable spirit an incredibly clever man a voracious reader who kind of educated himself like in prison which is like a university for him and he became something rather unique and remarkable at the end of this process and then the tragedy of his life cut short in in the 1960s with as you say so much promise if only you know but um, so he was a remarkable individual for many, many reasons. And, and, and it, it transcends the particularity of nation and race and so on. I think and oh, he's yeah. had a global impact, even on someone even, but in Europe and other people yeah. and, and uh, he, and inspired them to become Muslims actually.
1: Yeah. I, I believe it was the first nationally televised, uh, BBC, uh, Oxford union debate, the first nationally televised Oxford debate, I believe on BBC was that one in the united kingdom so it was on the tv sets of everyone in the united kingdom at the time as well and um i think his most his his greatest trait was this undeniable sincerity and that sincerity showed in his um his willingness to admit his mistakes and to grow uh not to insist on on faulty positions but to continue to grow and so he was and this is really a a very important teskiya concept the spiritual concept in islam that your greatest battlefield is your nafs is yourself Mm -hmm. if you are sincere in your pursuits uh then you will battle yourself and so you you can't rage at the world and and shout at the world and take on the world if you're not taking on your uh your, your most formidable enemy uh, being the nafs of course the shape on the devil who whispers into the nafs but like you have to conquer that and I think his ability to uh, to to really uh, overcome that his sincerity uh, in his pursuit was so undeniable that even his ideological opponents could not question his sincerity his sincerity mm-hmm. to uh, the, the struggle of African Americans and his sincerity to Islam I mean he was someone who was just deeply sincere and, and it, that came, that came through his speaking and that came through all of the work that he was doing. So, so with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Jr. And, and how he, he viewed Malcolm X, yeah. I think Malcolm X, it's how they viewed each other. Uh, Malcolm had a very unfavorable view of, of Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, up until, you know, the last couple of years of his life. And that, that was, he, he made no secret about it. Um, how he viewed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His view of Dr. King changed, not to the extent that he agreed with all of his methods, but to the extent that he saw him as a sincere leader that uh, and and someone that was an important partner um, in the broader movement and he wanted to work with him and he wanted to work with his movement. So he still had some disagreements with Dr. King. Uh, He also, and this is part of his sincerity, he knew that he could be the scary alternative to America Right. In place of Dr. King. And he right. he verbalized that, especially to Dr. King's camp. Let me be the scary alternative. Yeah. Sure. Uh, because if they see me show up,
0: yeah,
1: then they'll want to deal with you.
0: Yeah. So it's mainly you. King by, by presenting a more scary alternative. That, that's clever. And I've actually seen that tactic used in other fields in politics in Britain. That have completely nothing to do with this subject. So this is a recognized yeah. device. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so he shows up to Selma, Alabama, mm. uh, just, the, just a few weeks before his assassination. He goes to Selma, Alabama, where Dr. King is in prison. And he joins, he lends his voice to the people of Selma. And he's intentionally ambiguous about what he and his people will do um. if... Dr. King's demands are not met in Selma, Alabama. So it's interesting because Dr. King is in prison. He's a little skeptical. Uh, Coretta Scott King, the wife of, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., she describes her meeting with, with Hajj Malik al-Shabazz, with Malcolm X, rahimullah. Uh, and she says she was just so profoundly moved by what? By his sincerity. I mean, she 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 was overwhelmed by his sincerity. Um, and he tells her, he whispers to her, and you can actually see a picture of him whispering to her on the stage. He told her that, look, I didn't come here to undo what your husband is doing. But I thought that if the American public sees me here and that, you know, they, they worry about me coming here, then they're going to give your husband what he wants. But I want you to convey to him that I'm not here to undo his work. I'm actually here to support him. Wow. And Malcolm apologizes and says that he has to leave to attend uh, uh, some international conferences. So he he intended to actually visit Dr. King in prison at the time. Uh, and what he was doing in Alabama is he was saying, you know, you're going to give Dr. Martin Luther King what he's asking for or else, or we're going to do it another way, but he never says what the other way is. So he's yeah. intentionally ambiguous about what the other way is. Yeah. He never uses violence uh, in his life, but uh, at the same time, the, he used the perception that he'd been colored with uh, to <laughs> uh, to actually move things forward again and and, and I view that as, as and Allah knows best you know part of of his sincerity uh to what he was trying to achieve now on the Islamic side of things um he's also you know he's only been an orthodox Muslim I mean you talk mm-hmm. about change yeah, yeah he's yeah, only yeah. been a Sunni Muslim for less than a year at the that time of his sense. death yeah. He's done yeah. Hajj. He went overseas, he went to Africa obviously
0: and he met, yeah, uh, he uh, met the leaders, there's some amazing footage and, uh, of him yeah. meeting the great, the great uh, leaders of African nations, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, he, he meets um, he gets close to um, uh, Dr. Saeed Ramadan he gets close to Dr. Dr. Ahmed Risman who I've interviewed um, as well um, he gets close to certain people, he goes to Egypt he actually studies, you know uh, a little bit at al-azhar uh he gets scholarships for some muslims at al-azhar so uh Hajj hisham tawfiq you can you can read about uh i'm sorry uh hajj tawfiq alama tawfiq hisham is his son you can read about him getting scholarships to al-azhar for for people over here then he goes to umrah in september malcolm mm. goes to umrah in september and he 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 says i need to sharpen my spiritual eye um and he does no cameras no press this time so when he went to umrah in september he he was absolutely off the radar Um, but it was it was clearly a profound moving experience for him he writes about being in medina um is really interesting because if anyone's been to hajar umrah they'll tell you that medina is the place where you feel the greatest sense of serenity and peace right that medina just overwhelms you and that's the blessing of, of the supplication of the prophet and undoubtedly his presence and the presence of his companions and everything that has been built there it's in the air in medina and i would wondered when i did hajj the first time because many people saw hajj for the first time uh, through uh through the movie <laughs> denzel washington doing tawaf was the first time that many americans had ever seen hajj before right oh, sure. um, and malcolm wrote in his diary that he wanted to expose people to hajj he wanted people to learn about hajj through him which is why he spoke about it so frequently so subhanallah again his wish came true in that regard but i'd wonder i so, said you know how come malcolm didn't write about medina in his autobiography hmm. it was it was it was strange to me because medina gives you such peace and then he, he actually did write in his diary uh the uh he, he wrote a, an entry, one entry after praying Isha in the Masjid of the Prophet saying that he'd never felt more peace than he felt sitting in the masjid of the Prophet in his entire life. Mm-hmm. than sitting in the masjid of the Prophet. And he said that it took him back to his seclusion days in prison. And and you know, he talked about seclusion in a beautiful way. So he he talked about this idea of just being able to think and mm-hmm. and and really connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and connect with. Um, that that greater meaning, and then he only has one Ramadan. Mm. Malcolm Malcolm's one and only
0: Ramadan fasting as a Sunni Muslim was the month before he died. The month and and he, the month. he did have a, a profound intuition, uh, a sense that this was his end. Really, he, he didn't oh, yeah. yeah. expect it just to continue year after year. He, he, he has a sense of finality and closure of his life at the very zenith of his uh, travels. At that point, he'd reached. Yeah he become yeah. a Sunni Muslim. He'd been on Hajj and met and so on. And for it to be cut short then was an extraordinary. I don't know how, how he would have felt, but where did this sense, was it just that he was a very bright man who could read the runes, so to speak, who could tell what was happening? Or did he have a, a, a deeper sense of the finality of his life and he was going back to his Lord? perhaps? I don't know.
1: I think he had so many, there were already assassination attempts. The threats had become a daily uh, reality for him.
0: Mm. The
1: writing was on the wall that multiple parties wanted him dead. Uh, of course, J. Edgar Hoover puts out the memo to the FBI to 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 do something about Malcolm X. I think mm-hmm. his prominence was being recognized, and I think the role of the government in his assassination, um, you know, is it, 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 it's it's a st- a study that needs to continue and it needs to uh, be further unveiled because it was very clear that even if the trigger that was pulled was pulled by Mm-hmm. uh someone who uh claimed to be doing so through the nation of islam or whatever it is then uh those that were, were creating the atmosphere and driving the murder and the assassination every way it was it was definitely uh the government um and so he knew he knew that uh that assassination was coming I mean his house was firebombed mm-hmm. by the way his felt his house was firebombed a week before his assassination and he he got home from the London School of Economics. He spoke at the London School of Economics that week, wow. so it was Selma, and then he flew. Was denied entry to France. This is all in February, so January is Ramadan. First week of February, he's in Selma. Second week, he's going to to the UK to France. In the UK, he's denied entry into France. What, what did, did
0: France say why they wouldn't let him in? Uh, do we know? Uh,
1: I, I don't. I don't. I can't recall the exact. Um, reasons that were given but france was at the center of what malcolm of of malcolm study because the muslims are ghettoized in france and so dr ahmed actually talks about that that malcolm really took great interest in uh, france because the treatment of muslims in france resembled the treatment of black people in america as a whole so he really saw that as an intersection of his two of his two beings in that sense right Uh um but france turned him away um and, and you've got to just understand the popularity at this point. He's the most in-demand speaker in the United States. At the Oxford Union, mm-hmm. Canada, Africa is treated like a head of state. The mm-hmm. Middle East becoming a... So, I mean, this is a global icon in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. When France turns him away, he goes to London. He speaks at the London School of Economics. When he comes back to uh, the United States, the same night that he arrives is when his house is firebombed. So he actually had arrived that night. And then his house is firebombed in the morning. He takes a flight to Detroit. He speaks in Detroit the same day. Flies back. Speaks in the Audubon bor- bor- the oh, same sport. night, Jordan. and refuses to to slow down. Refuses to slow down. Refuses to to uh, uh, to disappear. And uh, there there was a a, a writer, a Chicago writer, I think I, I believe it was James Turner, who was interviewing him, and he he talks about how he sat with him. From the tribune and he's painting to him all of the scenarios of his assassination like it's very clear that people are going to kill you i mean it's, it's you're 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 on borrowed time here right and he said that malcolm looked out of the window and he paused and he just reflected he seemed completely at peace and tranquil and he said sir i do not believe that that bird can fly without the permission of allah
0: hmm.
1: <laughs> you know uh, I'm, I'm at peace. Uh, it's the permission of Allah. Nothing can happen without the permission of Allah.
0: And true, true submission, true surrender to the divine true. decree. And, and he knew where he was going by the grace of God as well. So that, that would have been extraordinary. But uh, as, as an outsider here, by which I mean a non-American, looking at it from the, uh, Europe perhaps, the struck that, that that decade, we had the, the assassination of Malcolm X, the assassination of Martin Luther King. I and mean, oh. we also had the assassination Major of Kennedy. Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy Bobby Kennedy this was an extraordinary era in American history where many of your leaders as civil rights leaders and others were being killed um, in a way which just shocks the world that that your your leaders are being assassinated like this but it went through over and over and over it wasn't just Malcolm X it was the president himself at that time in 63 I think who, who was killed it seemed to be the america was going through this extraordinary episode thank god it's no longer going through in just killing itself and killing its leaders and that, that that's as an outsider in a broader context is very striking i think yeah absolutely and, and prior
1: to that by the way medgar evers uh fascinating figure you can kill a man but you can't kill an idea he was a, a civil rights leader in in mississippi uh he was he was murdered in his driveway mm-hmm. um in in mississippi and um they, you know, his his blood stain, his body, his, his body, which was riddled with these bullets, was taken to the hospital and they refused to treat him at the hospital. Um, if you go to Medgar Evers' driveway till now, his blood still stains the driveway, his blood stains are still there on the driveway. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a legacy of violence. So, Medgar and then Malcolm and then Martin, um, <clears throat> it was very, you know, this is all happening within the same decade, and then, of course, you mm-hmm. then mentioned Kennedy and outside of even. Sort of the most prominent uh, black leaders of the time, uh, and and that that is definitely American history. <laughs> it is American history, and, and the government's involvement. In, in both Malcolm and, and Martin, Dr. King's mm-hmm.
0: assassination. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very clear. That well, the yeah, yeah, FBI, particularly, uh, this has been disclosed oh, yeah, the uh, yes, FBI, yeah, absolutely. Edgar uh, Hoover and so on. I mean, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is real, and, and it's been publicly disclosed. The extraordinary right. war, the internal war that the, the FBI, the head of, you know, uh, waged against these now respected figures, it has to be seen to be believed. Uh, and it's there as part of the public record now. It says it's not, of conspiracy theory this is fact documented fact extraordinary
1: right absolutely and I, and i think it's important for for us to sort of pause and reflect a bit why that is the case mm. uh, why there was such a need uh for hoover's fbi and, and and why why it was so important for them to silence uh these leaders and then what impact that had um uh, on the general population and, and the um, and the movement. It's very interesting, you know, uh, one of the most surprising things is that they didn't assassinate Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah,
0: <that's crazy. laughs> uh, he, he, actually, he actually used he, to express that the Vietnam War, didn't he? I mean, there was like an icon of rebellion against the establishment, and yet he, why, why was, I mean, maybe there were attempts to kill him. He was just fortunate, I don't know.
1: So, so his house was, his apartment was actually set on fire oh. uh, the day Malcolm X was assassinated. He just came home to find his apartment was set on fire. Um, I mean, he actually, if, if you, you know, he, he has, there's this famous clip of Muhammad Ali where he's asked about, do you have a bodyguard? And Why don't you have a bodyguard? And he talks about this protection from Allah that he has.
0: Yes.
1: And this faith that he has in Allah. You know, I think we we, we as Muslims would just boil it down to Allah. Allah yes. willed it. And alhamdulillah, we we benefited, um, you know, and, and the world benefited uh, quite a bit. Uh, from him uh, in that regard um, and at the end of the day it's it's all Allah's plan I mean if you think about Malcolm Malcolm was assassinated uh, to silence him he did not he didn't live to see his autobiography published
0: really? oh.
1: and his autobiography became what it became I mean how many people have become Muslim through his hands right and through that autobiography and how many and, and again his, his sincere wish that people would be exposed to Hajj through him how many people became exposed to Hajj through him Mm. Uh, so none of the Malcolm is not perfect, uh, Rahimahullah Oh no, no, and you don't get that.
0: His autobiography is not an excuse of oh, well, you know, he's not blaming other people. As you say, there's a raw integrity and sincerity, sincerity. And sincerity through it, and that's part of his attractiveness, his authenticity, rather than right. just being a, a cape crusader. This guy is real, you know. And and I I do recommend viewers, if you haven't already, to read uh, Malcolm X's autobiography. It is, um, I say even today, but it is still a remarkable work of literature uh, about a man who had an incredible life. And it's certainly, uh, I really recommend, Muslim or not, you're Muslim, to to read it as a human testimony to an extraordinary man. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So you know, I, th- I think it's a it's a sign for us, and and inshallah that that you know we have to also be sincere in our in our own pursuits and and try our best to exert ourselves. I mean, I, I think that's what brings together the conversation, whether we're talking about Ahmadidat and and the sincerity that came through his his work, rahimahullah, and then the the sincerity that came through the work and the voice of Malcolm X al Hajj Malik Shabazz, rahimahullah. The end of the day, I mean, uh, I think it's a it's a call for us as well to try to exert ourselves, and as we see uh the the literature pop up and ultimately you know we believe in a concept of tawfiq and barakah and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevating and and blessing what he sees fit um you know and i tell people uh and and i guess i can conclude with this on on my end you know someone like imam al-bukhari may allah have mercy on him and sahih al-bukhari being the most authentic book after the quran that exists mm-hmm. with us today and, and and such a transformative book and such a fundamental book to us as muslims mm-hmm. imam bukhari didn't see that when he died uh, he, mm-hmm. he saw he saw re- he saw acceptance of his work but he also saw envy and rejection and, and was and, and died a, you know in, in pretty uh harsh circumstances uh under slander and under uh difficulty but ultimately the sincerity uh that we believe that he had in the compilation of that of, of, of that work of Sahih al jami Sahih al-Bukhari uh it, uh it is uh it's it's evident right uh today uh by mm-hmm. the way that that work continues to bring people to the Prophet وسلم, and, and to understand the religion in a way that they otherwise would not be able to
0: Hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you, you mentioned a number of books, I, I won't repeat them all again, but you, but you strongly uh, have benefited from and recommend to others. And uh, I, I actually uh, completely agree with your uh, recommendations. And I think it's great that we, we don't always watch YouTube videos. And sometimes we get the old three dimensional things called books out and, uh, and, and, and I read them because it's a, it can be a very special experience reading really good books. And it can be transformative. It's not just a cerebral, it can actually change your life. Uh, it, it may make you, by the grace of God, a Muslim, but it also it may just enrich you in, in other ways as well. Um, and this is one of the reasons uh, your, your, what you said today is so helpful that hopefully it will encourage all of us to go back to some of these amazing individuals and benefit from them. Uh, I was so
1: going to also say Hamza books and Sacred Reality. Um, you know, may Allah bless him. How many people have personally that I've been able to, to give that book too, that we're struggling with just broad questions about God and atheism. Mm. Um, you know, may Allah reward uh, Brother Hamza Surtis for, for for his his work and his sincerity, and uh, we 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 see that in him, may Allah make him as such. Yeah. I think it's special, and, and you see, you know, it's something when you can see, um, not to belabor the point, but you can see a person's own journey in their writing, even mm. if the book is not about them, it's them. Uh, the voice of the author is there. And so yeah. I, th- I think that that, that book um, ha- has been so much uh, from us, Hamza Surtis' work in particular.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the nail they have for me is authenticity. Uh, these people are uh, real in, in a very profound sense. that they're, they're not uh, yeah, advocates for a cause or, or just talking heads. There's something of the sincerity and integrity of their own life journey uh, and the mistakes, I acknowledge. Hamza Sortsa says yeah. he's made mistakes, as we all have, obviously. Uh, and, and that is humbling because he's moved to a, a, a quite an elevated position. Without wanting to uh, embarrass him or praise him, but he is a special guy as well. I had the privilege of meeting him in Turkey uh, last month, and I was generally impressed with his uh, character. Yeah. I'm not going to embarrass him anymore saying that. <laughs> no, but I, I just—I I should
1: correct myself. as the Divine Reality? Say, the Divine, divine reality, reality. Yeah, the Divine, the reality. divine reality.
0: That book. Um, has, yeah. has, has been phenomenal. So, may I reward him uh, for that? It's, it's, the new edition, of course, is, is out. Uh, it's been a little bit revised uh, as well. So, well, um, thank you very much indeed, Dr. Omar Solomon, for your, your time. Fascinating uh, what you've said. And I, I'm very grateful you come on and uh, we've all benefited, I know, from it. And we will read some of these books that you suggest. So, thank you're you welcome. very much indeed. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate, I
1: appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. And please keep up the good work that you're doing inshallah. And you too. Thank you. As-salamu well, alaykum.